Certic is most well-known as a blockchain application auditing firm. More recently, they formally verified Uniswap v2. They've just launched their own Cosmos SDK blockchain, enabled IBC, along with launching a suite of products, the most exciting of which is a DeFi insurance pool that they call Shentu Shield. In addition, we also cover their new smart contracting language called DeepSea, along with their new virtual machine environment called Certic VM. And finally, we cover ground about their decentralized security oracle. This show was aired live on Twitter Spaces when we were first experimenting with that livestream medium. However, we ultimately decided against using Spaces to record episodes since the audio quality was too low. So please excuse the poor audio quality from this episode. Today, we're here with members of the Certic team, one of the premier blockchain auditing firms in the space. Most of you know Certic as a go-to resource for auditing, but did you know that they've just launched a Cosmos SDK blockchain? So we're going to talk about that today, and I'm here with folks at Certic, including Jay, Jia Liang, sorry if I'm butchering your name, Solomon, Xin Yuang, and Yung Book. So let's do a round of intros, and then we'll get started. Hey, everyone. My name is Jay. I'm a software engineer at Certic. I'm currently heading the Shentu Chain project. Shentu is a security-oriented blockchain built with the Cosmos SDK that we all love. We actually launched in October 2020, and we were actually the very first EVM-compatible Cosmos chain that went in production. If you had no idea about it or you have never heard of Shentu until now, I don't blame you. That's exactly why we're here today. We want to tell the world, you know, what the heck we do and why we think we're so stepped on. What about uh, Solomon? My name is Solomon, and uh, I work as an ecosystem developer at um, I help him with identifying and uh, developing strategies for community growth and uh, engagement. Jia Liang, is that how you say your name? Yeah, hi. So I'm the software engineer in SDK, and my responsibility is building tools to detect and review any potential vulnerabilities in smart contracts. Occasionally, I do the auditing service for our clients. Thanks. I'm currently a research and engineer working on DeFi security here at Certic. My work primarily revolves around smart contracts, performance mechanics, virtual machine, and financial models in a crypto setting, more specifically Ethereum and Ethereum WebAssembly. My name is Yung Bok Lee. Um, I'm the main chef, chain dev engineer at Certic. I mainly do um, chain code development, uh, chain operations, and I occasionally participate in uh, Cosmos SDK based auditing projects. And with this Shen2 number two chain, it's uh, another chain joins the IBC fan because you guys have just enabled Stargate, right? Which has IBC prepackaged in the Cosmos SDK. So that's exciting. That is correct. So for the uninitiated, can you give us an overview about what you've been up to and your suite of security tools? Yeah, should I start with the chain, if that's okay? Yeah, I think that's the most interesting part about this conversation. Quick and dirty version is that the purpose of Shen2 is to kind of bridge the gap between how blockchain security is done today and how we believe it should be done. So basically how people in blockchain today ensure security is through code reviews and audits, which are manual and very much static. As important as they are for development, they are really just, you know, a one-off check you often have to pay for and hoping that the bugs can be caught before the code is shipped or before the contracts are deployed. And this is exactly where things can get tricky. Once your code is published, it's pretty much an open game from there. Anything in the code is prone to exploits or manipulations, and there's very little you can do about it. And this is where the Shen2 chain comes in. 
So the Shen toolchain is designed as a solution to safeguard on-chain transactions through security services we provide. You have the Shen Shield, which is the first ever blockchain insurance product on Cosmos. And you have the security oracle, which effectively functions as the kind of the middleware between the developers and the API endpoints they interact with. So what you get is that you are guaranteed to in only interact with the secure endpoints. So no more press oracle manipulations. You also have Skynet, which performs a series of security checks in real time to uh, minimize the possibilities of hacks or exploits. We can go in depth if you want, but I try not to get too technical. Uh, I feel like that's a common issue with the techies in blockchain. They have this kind of mental block. They have to be technical all the time. But what they're really doing is pushing away their core audience because they don't know how to convey the ideas in simple terms. So I think we're good for now. We'll unpack all of that over the course of this podcast. So we'll just talk about Shen Chain at a really high level. What we should know is what its primary purpose is for. And I know the people listening are going to want to know what the token is for and how they can use it. And where does IBC fit into the overall picture? So let's just talk about that. The most overlooked feature of Shen is, you know, in my opinion, is the Certic Virtual Machine or CVM for short. So CVM is effectively the core of the Shen Chain. What it is, it's a virtual machine that leverages a formally verified compiler to ensure no bugs are introduced during the compilation of the source code into the EVM bytecode. So each contract that gets executed in the CVM comes with a cryptographic certificate, which is used as a proof of verified security. And the different contracts can kind of interact with each other and check for these machine checkable proofs in order to kind of gain additional assurance on security. And contracts that do not have these proofs are not necessarily insecure per se, but they might impose, for example, higher transaction fees on the users or whoever that calls the contracts. One of the many exciting things that are coming up soon for CVM is what we call a model checking engine. What it does is it finds the flaws in the financial models in your smart contracts to help minimize the scope of potential exploits. So the whole idea came about because we didn't believe and we still don't. We don't believe you have to be a coder just to audit smart contracts. We want your parents and your grandparents to be able to kind of symbolically reason about the code through, for example, annotated token flows and prices in Solidity using domain-specific languages. We actually have a prototype that extracts the contract into a model checker, and the model assumes sequential execution and deterministic transaction ordering. What this enables is the ability for the developers to write their own kind of verification engines as smart contracts in the CVN, which is super freaking cool if you ask me. We're also researching on this thing called decentralized on-chain proofs. Basically, you can break up a like whole piece of proof into chunks and bits and have them checked by the validators. That's that for CVN. And we did do the Stargate upgrade. So Shentu is now on Stargate and IPC enabled. We did the first upgrade on August 31st. And the very next day, uh, the Cosmos SDK version.044 came out, which was a security release. As it turned out, in, in the SDK version.42, there exists a bug where the user can be at risk being tricked into signing the same transaction twice with two different hashes. So basically a double send problem. I wanted to send 10 CTK tokens to Chango. Because of the bug, I ended up sending, I ended up signing the same transactions twice, and they were both broadcast successfully and processed. So in the end, I really sent 20 tokens, which should never happen. I'm not going to get too deep into it as far as what the bug is and how to mitigate it. We I did actually put think together it's a very relevant because that's not talked about right now because it's just not yeah. been publicly disclosed, even though all chains that are potentially affected are aware of it. 
So there's no yeah, harm, no yeah. foul, but we should talk about it. It's relevant. I actually put together a write-up and I shared it with a few projects I was in contact with that I think a cash, safe chain, and a few other projects. I actually shared it in the Cosmos Discord channel, which had turned private since then, unfortunately. So the bug, it wasn't, well, I was told it was disclosed to the exchanges and the service providers weeks before that. But when we were talking to Binance, apparently they weren't aware of that. It would appear to me we were the first one to even inform them about this bug. So that was kind of concerning. Also, if you think about it, like how bad of a bug is it really, right? Yes, you might accidentally send twice, but you know you have to have enough token in your balance to even for the second transaction to go through. So I don't know. But yeah, it's not really openly talked about. But we did the upgrade on 31st and we did another upgrade a week after, which was yesterday. So it's been hectic. But yeah, we did. You know, We take security very uh, seriously. Yeah, as you should. And as far as I'm aware, there's been a patch um, that does fix the security critical bug. I believe that that Correct. So basically the idea is, or what's been advised is, all chains that are on 42 should upgrade to 44. Now, unfortunately, 44 is very much, like it's a lot of work to upgrade it. We evaluated the workload and everything. So for us, we launched Stargate on 42.6, which unfortunately doesn't have necessary query paths to even mitigate this bug. That's why we did the upgrade to 42.9 yesterday. So now we have the path to kind of mitigate the bug. Basically, you have to change your deposit and withdrawal like logic. You can't, you should no longer query transactions by the hash by itself. You should always query by the account number and the sequence. And that was kind of the mitigation that we have. The good thing is when I, you know, reached out to different projects, most projects I reached out to were already on 42.9. So they already had the pass in their code, which is good. So they could easily kind of push out a fix on the front end or change how, you know, transactions are queried. That should be sufficient to mitigate the bug. But the end goal is still to upgrade to 44. What are the sort of second order effects and implications of this bug for people? I know that tangibly this delays certain projects' launches. Like on Osmosis, for example, at least this delays the Terra's UST launch on Osmosis because they were relying on stable SDK version, right? And so that did cause them to delay for at least several weeks. What else is there? That's precisely it. Almost every single project I was talking to, they already had something planned. I'm not going to name anybody, but I would just say Project A. So they planned a launch right around the time the when 44 came out. So that pretty much messed everything up for them. And for Tower, yes, they were delayed too. And I heard Sifting was working on upgrading to 43 and 43 is now deprecated. It's being replaced by 44. And I think Arisnet had plans for uh, an upgrade and now you know they have to kind of sort of figure things out. So yeah, that's precisely it. And it, it's a lot of work. The code is one thing. And another thing is you really have to kind of plan out an, the upgrade with all the stakeholders, right? You have the service providers, you have the exchanges, you have the node operators who are located everywhere in the world. It's a, like a whole plan you have to do. It can be overwhelming. Just for some context about how the Cosmos ecosystem is different from something like Bitcoin, right? This is, yeah, these (laughs) upgrades are non-backwards compatible, which happen at a much more frequent pace. What you would expect from like such a huge at scale change such as this on Bitcoin, last time something like this happened at this scale was SegWit, right? It was the during the scaling debates. I guess they're upgrading Taproot now, but basically once every blue moon. 
Whereas on proof of stake systems, like in Cosmos, this happens rather frequently and it is a task yeah. for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We should go back and talk about Shen2 Chain. So we've covered enough about the Cosmos okay. SDK. You guys built Certic VM, which is formally verifying smart contract VM. We should talk about why formal verification matters because why should we care about that? Everyone talks about it, at least in the research realm in blockchain. I'm trying to come up with like a concrete example so the idea um, can actually come across. I think I will give like a high-level overview and maybe Xinyuan can walk us through later. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but we actually formally verified a Uniswap version 2 contracts not too long ago. You probably haven't. Um, no, and so what were your findings? Work, let me get to that. So the context is that previous works on formally verifying Uniswap contracts predominantly involve symbolic analysis that relies heavily on SMT solvers, such as the uh, Z3. So SMT solvers typically are computation heavy and they suffer from weak and arithmetically unpredictable performances. We, on the other hand, use real tangible math, which is something SMT solvers simply can't do. So in the deep sea language, which is like our own programming language, um, the specs can be attributed to contracts using a specific notation. And the semantics behind that is to help the developers avoid unnecessary abstractions and bring compatibility into their contracts. So not only can the AMM contracts be compiled and later deployed as standalone contracts, they can also be further used in other contracts for different purposes. At high level, we are leveraging formal verification within the deep sea language itself to automatically create mathematical theorems to code correctness. And what you get is end-to-end -end verification while connected directly to the Cog theorem prover. And we are thinking about putting it on chain to have like this kind of verified, formally verified AMM. We actually published a paper on that recently too, if I remember correctly. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Xinyuan. In the paper, we present a verified AMM contract and validate its financial model by proving a theorem about the lower bound on the cost of manipulation of the token prices. The contract is implemented using the deep sea language, of course, and that effectively makes sure the theorem applies to the actual EVM bytecode. And this could be used as a proof of correctness for other contracts that uses contract. And we can go deep into it with Xingyuan. Adding to what Jay just said, it's not only about the technical side, it's also about the ideological side. So formal methods, you know, unlike human auditing, they are neutral, they embody the very spirit of crypto by you know, replacing trust in us humans with a mechanized and decentralized version of probable security. So imagine what if we could do this. We have chain to chain, which is a decentralized chain that uh, has a decentralized governance. And then when a project is already deployed, as Jay said earlier on, we no longer have any guarantees or assurance signs security anymore. What we now can do is that, say, somebody submits a proof of its soundness, or maybe its unsoundness, that is to say, submit a proof of a way that we can exploit, and then we can use this proof as maybe an oracle for building something like a credit default swap on the chain or sorts of things like that. That's interesting when you said credit default swap. Can you go into more about that specific use case? Yeah, at that point, it's actually just a wild idea I came up with uh, just on the spot. So imagine something like this. We have perpetual swaps in traditional financial markets, right? They usually, when there are more people to short it than people to long it, then the people who short it um, pay this thing called funding rate to the other party. And then just like perpetual swap, maybe we can have something on certain chain that's like a perpetual swap betting on things being hacked. and. You know, the way it functions is just like a credit default stuff where one party, one party pays the other small amounts of funding rates over the time. And if 
at any moment, a hack happened, or maybe somebody submitted a proof proving that there could be a, an exploit. And this proof could be in anything, for example, in our model checking language, or maybe using some formalized proofs in Kog. And then this enables our decentralized Oracle to really see, hey, here is an exploit, and then the party betting on the hack would happen to get more money. I think this really opens up a whole new way to hedge the risk of uh, your protocols being hacked. You say hedging risk, I say a new instrument for the casino, for the DeFi casino. I mean, of course, uh, people can get into market making of those things. That's uh, like another way. Interesting. Yeah. I want to ask you more about market making because right now, because of regulators kind of hounding all of the market makers as well as the exchanges, there's this kind of crunch right now and all of the small market makers are being basically priced out. If you launch this chain and people can basically do market making on chain and anonymously, how does that change the ecosystem? Like, how does that change the game right now? Before I say anything, I just want to put forward this idea was literally I just thought of it like uh, two minutes <laughs> ago. Yeah, so it's yeah. not uh, not formalized out. But uh, I think what we could do is maybe you know have some security experts that knows how to knows the risk of each project. They do the market making because you know traditionally market makers are also firms that know the entire macro structure of the market, and then they profit from there. I, I think this opens up a new opportunity to all the security researchers in this realm. What does Shentu Chain expect users to use IBC for? I think, you know, first thing first, just the thought of being interconnected with an internet of blockchains and being able to talk to other chains, which is the Cosmos spirit, right? And we 100% embrace that assertic. But since you asked, I think I can walk you through our thought process as far as like how we see IBC being applied in the Shentu Chain, how we plan to take advantage of it. I think first thing first, with IBC, we'll be able to kind of bring our security services to other blockchains, primarily the ones with the focus in DeFi. Let's take Ethereum as an example. We have billions of assets locked in Ethereum, right? But people are getting hacked left or right every other day, it feels like. So before things get worse, let's try to make it better. Uh, a concrete scenario I can think of is the Gravity Bridge. So in addition to having the ERC-20 tokens flow in and out of the central chain, because the IBC protocol is blockchain agnostic, so technically any smart contract-enabled blockchain, such as Ethereum, can implement a what we call service contract to gain access to our security services offerings. The service contracts are basically a collection of contracts that define the functions and the events that you can subscribe to. For example, you can have a storage function, which is basically a cache layer that stores the results from the on-chain services. And you might have a callback function, which is you know a callback to the service requester once the request has been fulfilled. You can have parsing function, which converts the results from the services into a desired format. And you might also have an aggregation function that aggregates multiple services into one. For example, Chango sends a service request on Ethereum and she waits for the service result or the callback. Under the hood, a group of nodes receive the service request and then conduct the off-chain computations. And finally, they send back the service result to the service contract. And the contract aggregates the results and sends a final verdict back to Chango, aka the service requester. And the kind of transactional communications between the service chain and the central chain are handled by the relayers so that the events can be emitted from the service chain and recorded or processed on the central chain. We also have this thing called Sinker that 
broadcast messages from the Shenzhou chain. So how it works is that the singer receives signals from the relayers and thereafter records service activities on the Shenzhou chain. You can look at it as almost like a process controller that records checkpoints when the service activity transactions are finalized into blocks. Another major piece in this kind of cross-chain communication mechanism is a middleware that tracks the on-chain state of a given service and interacts with the custom modules in the central chain so that the runtime effects can be applied into the service transactions. For example, you can maybe waive the fee on a transaction if that transaction had a certificate issued by the CVM. Yeah, sorry, I think I went off on a tangent there. I hope that was informative and uh, helpful. I'm trying to get out of the abstract into the tangible. So when you say if Django requests a service, like what kind of service are you talking about? Because what you're describing is a Shinto chain bridge to Ethereum and, you know, the two chains can talk to each other. But for what specific service? I was implying our auditing services, which is off-chain, by the way. We also have other kind of Shenzhou Shield, Skynet, and Oracle, which are like our kind of primary services on-chain. I don't know if I mentioned, but Shenzhou Shield is, you know, like I said, a blockchain insurance product. Basically, you get your reimbursement for hacked or lost assets. And the Oracle, which I explained before, you know, we make sure you are only interacting with the secure endpoints. And for Skynet, I think I mentioned it earlier too, it's almost like a pay-as-you-go model. You know, you pay... It's almost like a subscription service, if you will. You can purchase and have real-time security checks on your smart contracts, basically. You did mention those earlier, and we should dive more into Shentu Shield, which is your... Okay. It's an insurance DAO, basically, right? Yeah. So people yeah. are allowed to fund this DAO in order to yeah. be insured by any other DeFi smart contract hacks that may be yeah. a Black Swan event later. That's really interesting because you're one of the first teams deploying something like this, even though we've been talking about insurance DAOs as sort of an inevitability in the DeFi space. Yeah. Can you talk about the mechanisms of how this DAO would work? I think I will let Yambook take that. But before, I wanted to give like a quick overview of how we should look at Shinto Shield. So the analogy I like to use is, I think you should try to think of Shinto Shield as a hedge against the audits. So audits are not bulletproof or catch it all, right? As you probably already know. Audits are usually done against a branch or a commit hash of the code provided by the client. What typically happens then is, you know, your code base keeps evolving over time and eventually it outgrows the scope of the audit that you had previously paid for. And Skynet and Shinto Shield are exactly our remedies for that. So rather than you shutting out a few grants for an audit every few months, you can purchase Shield and Skynet, of course, as you go. Shinto Shield gets you reimbursement for hacked and locked assets. And I think one thing people tend to get confused about is they think Shinto Shield is a replacement for audits. It is complementary, rather. Effectively, you can think of audits as the static analysis, and Shinto Shield or Skynet are the other end of the spectrum, which is what you would call dynamic analysis. And as far as how Shield works, I think, you know, as one of the major contributors to a project, a young book would give a better explanation. Yeah, so what the Shield is is basically, um... So a project comes in and goes on an agreement with Certic, and we can create a pool for them. But this entire process can, uh, is planned to be decentralized in the future, so any projects can create their own pool. Then, um, when the pool is created, any participant can purchase their portion of the shield to get insurance. When they claim they had a loss due to a hack or something, they can submit a claim proposal that the entire Certic governance community can vote on, along with the uh, certifier voting rounds and then the community voting round. 
they get reward, but they get refunded for their loss if that proposal passes. Any stakers or delegators, validators that has CDK tokens can provide their locked CDK tokens on the staking pool as a collateral to Statistic Shield to earn rewards on top of their staking rewards. So that's how basic health shield works. Static Shield DAO members different and distinct from the pool liquidity providers, or is there an overlap? There's an overlap. So you can choose to become a provider, but you don't have to be a provider to actually vote on any plan proposals or any parameter rearrangements on uh, regarding Shield. But process is basically pretty similar with the, any other governance proposals like the SEK provides. My worry with there being an overlap is that in theory, there is always a risk of a Plutarchy controlling the majority stake in the Cervix Shield DAO and rejecting claims because they don't want to pay out because if they're LPing in the same pool, they're kind of incentivized not to pay out, right? So if they're also the ones deciding which Um, proposals to pay, then there's an issue. That was a concern when we were designing a shield, but since we have another round of voting, which is the certifier rounds, that kind of goes up one level to the certifiers, uh, which we have on Certic as the higher governing power of the chain. That kind of prevents any whales controlling all the shield proposals and votes. Since all of the staking community can put out a vote, I think that pretty much mitigates danger of the majority just ruling over everything. So you have a sort of Supreme Court that oversees activities there. Yeah. As far as I know, many other um, insurance platforms also do that. We actually do um, governance a little bit differently. We have two rounds of voting. We actually have one this thing called certifier voting. I wouldn't say that would totally eliminate the problem, but that's you know the best solution we could come up with. So I guess in some scenarios, we might have kind of centralized entities, of course, the ones with, you know, good reputation. And I wouldn't say they have the final say, but they definitely played a part in the decision-making process. Let's talk about the token. You guys have CTK, and that's the underlying staking token of Chengdu Chain. Is that it? Correct. So how are people using it? And what are its various functions? So the CTK token is the native token on the central chain is being primarily used for staking to secure the network as it should. And it's also being used to maintain our security services running on top of the chain, namely, you know, Shenzhou Shield, Skynet, Oracle, which I mentioned before. So for the consumers, they have the option to stake their tokens. And this is one thing we didn't mention before. So to actually provide collateral in the CDK pool on Static Shield, you can only provide already staked tokens as collateral. You can get rewards from it. So I'm not good with analogies, but I personally see CTK as ticket to enter the uh, Certic ecosystem and access our security service offerings. So if you want to help secure the chain, if you believe in the Certic vision, you should already know what a token's for. Is the token inflationary, deflationary? So on that, we're pretty much vanilla cosmos. Looking for a stake-weighted voting power threshold, and if it goes under, then you increase the inflation. If it goes over, then it's pretty stagnant at around 7%, and it fluctuates in between 7 and 21%, kind of exactly like Cosmos inflationary schedule. Yeah. Let's talk about exploiting D5 objects, because that's what Certic is best known for. Tell us a story about the top three, or top one, whatever most spectacular D5 project you guys have air quotes, exploited in your white hat work? 
very good question, very relevant to our current production work. So before I start, I'll let this white hat work using model checking and reduce financial models to find possible risk-free arbitrage is moving from the research stage to the production stage. And now I think we have, uh, I guess, eight checks that have been integrated into production and been using our audits. And this is just since last month that we have started. For the story, currently we have tried out on a number of popular project templates, mostly automated market makers. So as my colleagues have mentioned earlier, a pattern that we have noticed with most projects that come for audit are usually forks of popular projects with a minorly unsafe tweak. And as a result, the top three. So all the Uniswap forks, right? With just a parameter tweak somewhere. Yeah, and, and wire and lots of those stuff. And as a result, the top three DeFi projects that everyone knows that we have experimented with this work were Balancer, DDX, and maybe Uranium Finance, which is an, some fork of Uniswap on Binance Smart Chain. And specifically, we were able to find ways to exploit them, so let's say to find a reduced version of the absence of the hacks that happened to them before. The takeaway here, I guess, is that Certic will integrate and use this white hat exploit work to prevent any future projects from getting exploited in the same way as those that happened in the past, which is to say hacks like the Balancer, BDX, and Uranium Finance exploit, which mostly happened in the tweaked version of the Uniswap version 2 pair trading contract. Can you go into more detail about the Balancer exploit? I think that one is the most well-known here. The Balancer one, I think, happened last year in April. It was not a huge hack. It was uh, like a million dollars. It was not that big. I think what happened there was really interesting. It is, you know, in my personal opinion, the most interesting DeFi hacks that had happened, aside from, you know, any IMV exploits. But specifically for that point, it was that uh, what the hacker did was to, you know, of course, first borrow a flash one and then do a seemingly meaningless transactions on Balancer back and forth. And using the deflationary model of the ERC20 token, he created sort of a separation between what Balancer thinks it has on its asset balance sheet than what it actually has. And then the hacker was able to exploit that. So the original transaction, in the original hack transaction, the hacker used, I think, 54 internal transactions, that is to say four different function calls. And in our work, we found the hack with in five steps. That is to say, if we were to translate our result into a, into a hacker's transaction, that transaction would include less than five internal transactions. So we've basically, using the symbolic model checking model, we use the, amount, the complexity to one-tenth of the original one. And this means that uh, we can find hacks more efficiently. Do you expect more sophisticated hacks to emerge, especially as we progress into an ever-increasing interchain new normal? And by so, that, I mean, do you expect to have more and more business? Definitely. So to be honest, I think mostly, you know, in DeFi, everybody is building the options protocol. And uh, unlike in the previous DeFi summer case where Uniswap leads and everybody copies, copies them, here, the everybody is kind of like building a different derivative and options protocol. So I guess in the future, maybe some of the hacks won't be so similar. Like they, they will be composed of higher complexity on very different code bases. Let's go through some closing remarks. Is there anything that you guys want to tell the audience, announce anything that's upcoming and let them know about how they can participate with Shentu Chain and other services that you guys have? Yeah, I would just say or kindly ask you know, the audience to show some love to Shentu. We're like a new kid on the block. I feel like we're not being 
noticed enough. So please follow us on Twitter, Telegram, you know, all social media platforms, and uh, we have exciting stuff coming up soon. One of the things that will get you noticed immediately is to launch a liquidity bootstrapping pool on Osmosis. So <laughs> is there any future plans for that? Of course. I mean, you already know the answer. Yeah, it's, it's, we're just trying to figure out the incentives. People love, you know, high APYs and all that good stuff. I don't know about the liquidity bootstrapping program for now. We're, we're working on something internally. We are coming up with this program, an ambassador uh, program will be launching in, um, in a couple of weeks. The Shinto Ambassador uh, program is meant to get um, motivated individuals who are interested in the future of the, future of the blockchain um, to come interact with us, you know, so come promote and participate in, basically in the community, uh, in the Celtic, um, or Shinto community rather, I would say. Participate in the Shinto community and uh, help us spread the word out there. So uh, that will be launching in a, in a couple of weeks. That is for one, people that are really interested um, in participating in the core ecosystem and the core community of um, Shinto. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, we'll make an announcement on our, on our Twitter. As many people that are interested, basically, you know, they're not attracted to site. Just, you just need to have the motivation and uh, the desire to want to, you know, participate, you know, and, and contribute your, your quota in helping, you know, uh, promote the, the protocol. Um, so basically, the, the, the network rather. So anyone that really interested should be looking forward. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll make an to respect to that. We'll be closing out. And yeah, we look forward to CTK being listed on Osmosis with high APYs. Just kidding. We'll uh, yeah, we'll see. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I sincerely hope you found the information contained in it educational and useful for your personal learning development. I understand that the space moves so fast and there's too much information for a single person to digest. Even for someone like me, someone who works in this space full time, it can be overwhelming. My goal with Interchain FM is to serve only high signal information in easy to digest courses so that you're not overwhelmed with too much information and that you leave only with the context that matters. Interchain FM airs live roughly every Thursday on my Twitter handle. That's at C-H-J-A-N-G-O or on Reality Sarina's YouTube channel. If you miss our live sessions, you won't miss a single episode when you visit interchain.fm. I hope to see you at the next show.